I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at rainnetwork.com. Welcome to Rain's Essential Geopolitics Podcast. I'm Emma Kami, and I'll be hosting today's episode. What's at stake in the Israeli-Hamas war? The October 7th Hamas on Israel stunned the world and sparked the most serious security crisis in the region since the U.S. assassination of Qasem Soleimani in 2020. As the Israeli military prepares its possible ground offensive of the Gaza Strip, we talk to Ryan Bull, senior Middle East and North Africa analyst at Rain, about what's at stake. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks for having me, Emma. Thanks for coming on the podcast. To start us off, let's talk about the main regional actors' goals in this war. Um, so what do Israel, Hamas, Iran, and the U.S. want, uh, respectively? Right. So we can start with our, our strategic objectives from all of these actors. And we, well, let's start with Hamas, who, who carried out the attack on October 7th and, and began this, uh, this war. Um, Hamas's primary goal was to provoke the Israelis into an overreaction against Hamas by, by carrying out this incursion. Now, Hamas knew that they couldn't take and hold territory inside of Israel. They knew that a counterattack would dislodge them from any of the, the settlements that they managed to infiltrate on that day. So the idea was to cause as much damage to civilians and civilian infrastructure as possible in order to lock the Israelis into policy positions based on the politics of rage. And this is how this is a classic asymmetric tactic uh, for a lot of militant groups Um, when they're dealing with a, a superior military force like Hamas is with the Israeli Defense Forces or the IDF, uh, the idea is to force them into uh, making a mistake. And that, that's what Hamas's uh, primary goal was in the course of, this, the course of this, uh, this, this incident on October 7th. Now, Israel's primary goal, their war goal, has been to dismantle and degrade Hamas. And, and what they seem to mean by that is that they are going to eject Hamas as the rulers of the Gaza Strip. That probably is going to include a ground invasion component of some kind at some date. But that's uh, that's Israel's overarching goal is to defeat uh, Hamas and either have it go into exile abroad or to destroy the group entirely if they are able. Now, the United States, on the other hand, has pretty limited interests in the Gaza Strip. Mostly its interests are driven by a a fear of radicalization and a fear of escalation. So they don't want to see this war expand to one that could involve Hezbollah in Lebanon or could involve Iran uh, against Israel directly in a regional war. And so the U.S. is trying to signal deterrence to these other actors by sending in forces to the region, trying to keep this war from spreading. And then finally, we have Iran and all of its proxies. And Iran is trying to exploit the politics of this moment to both distract from their own uh, domestic problems at home. They're still facing a very sizable uh, domestic unrest and and, and, uh, protest movement against the government's policies, particularly over the hijab. Um, But they're also looking to gain sympathy and and, uh, credibility in the global south, to to break out of, of economic and diplomatic isolation that they've been enduring since the United States decided to reimpose sanctions on them uh, in 2018. So that's the Iranians' goal. And so when we think about it that way, that kind of gives us an idea of what escalation might look like and how the actors uh, might behave as they pursue these goals. Um, So despite these imperatives, how likely is it, in your opinion, that each party will achieve their goals? Right. And that's the, that's the, uh, the, the part that I think 
it introduces this element of, of miscalculation. Now, Hamas has already achieved its goal of provoking the Israelis as thoroughly as they can. And the Israelis have obviously carried out expansive military strikes all over the Gaza Strip. And there is very much a threat of a regional war uh, that would potentially uh, weaken Israel's military posture in the region. So Hamas has, in some ways, already achieved what it aimed to do. On, on the other hand, the Israelis are stuck with this goal of removing Hamas from power, but not necessarily wanting to reoccupy the Gaza Strip. So we don't really know how Israel is going to kind of square that circle of whether or not they are going to take over the Gaza Strip and, and try to find another Palestinian group to take over with them, potentially the Palestinian Authority or, or a new governing body that the Israelis might set up. Um, that's one of their options. Or whether or not the Israelis end up through a, a series of, of bloody battles being unable to eject Hamas completely from the Gaza Strip and being forced to return to something like a status quo uh, from before October 7th. And, and, and that's sense that Israel may not achieve their goals. Um, the United States, of course, looking to avoid regional escalation and, and radicalization. The radicalization ship has probably already sailed. In a lot of ways, the U.S. can't really stop people from being angry about this conflict. It's a very emotional conflict. So that, that has already happened, and now the U.S. has to brace for the fallout. Now, escalation, on the other hand, the U.S. is trying to signal that uh, if Hamas and, and or Hezbollah and Iran get involved in the war, it could result in direct U.S. military action against them. And, and as a result, the U.S. has a chance where it is able to use that, that uh, display of deterrence and military power to ensure that whatever escalations Iran and Hezbollah carry out against Israel, it doesn't result in a full-scale war. So the U.S. does have a chance of, of achieving its strategic objectives. And of course, for Iran, Iran's strategic objectives are comparatively simple and relatively easy to achieve. And so Iran probably will achieve their objectives of, of building up their stature of defenders of the Palestinians and distracting from domestic politics and breaking out... <clears throat> at the very least, of some of their diplomatic isolation, as a lot of other countries in the region, including places like Saudi Arabia, a close U.S. friend and, and partner, um, are, are reacting uh, very negatively to the Israeli uh, military campaign in the Gaza Strip. And we actually saw a, a first breakthrough phone call between Saudi Arabia's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and Iran's President Raisi, Ibrahim Raisi, uh, which was a first for them since they began normalizing their relations. So in a certain sense, Iran is also starting to achieve their objectives already. In um, the pursuit of these goals, how might various actors make strategic miscalculations and cause escalations? So in this case, this is where we're looking for Iran and for Hezbollah and for the United States to see how they may end up in an escalation ladder. Now, if and when the Israeli ground invasion of the Gaza Strip begins, that will be the moment where Iran and Hezbollah have to decide what scale of response they want to provide. And if they carry out attacks that are too wide scale, or if they carry out, say, long-range ballistic missile attacks from uh, Iran proper into Israel's heartland, and those attacks either cause significant civilian casualties and or create the appearance for Israel of like a, of a of a almost an existential threat um, to Israel's security, that would trigger a U.S. military response. And it's very hard to know exactly at what point the U.S. would decide to strike back against such an attack um, within Iran itself. And it's then very hard for uh, the United States to gauge whether or not a direct strike on Iran itself, if it was just going after a, a launcher site, whether or not that would provoke the Iranians then to fire more rockets and missiles at U.S. targets throughout the region. And, and that's where we have this inability of the actors to perceive one another's goals clearly 
in a way that guarantees that there isn't necessarily an escalation that nobody particularly wants. You'll notice when we were laying out the imperatives, no country wants to have a full-scale war except for, of course, Israel and Hamas. But none of the other actors want to fight a full-scale war at this moment, especially not on behalf of this cause. So that's where they have this overarching imperative to avoid war, but they do have to have some sort of responses to it. And those responses, it's very hard for each actor to perceive one another in a matter that is transparent enough that they know exactly how the other actor will behave. And, and we can think back to, you were talking earlier about the, the assassination of Qasem Soleimani in, in, in 2020. Um, when that happened, the Iranians fired a series of missiles at a U.S. base in Iraq. And when they did so, they could not be sure that that attack would not result in a significant U.S. military counterattack against Iran itself. Um, as it turns out, the missiles didn't actually kill any American soldiers. It wounded a lot of soldiers, but it didn't kill any of them. And as a result, the White House made the political decision to step away from the escalation ladder and get off of it uh, before it got out of hand. And at any point when they are carrying out these attacks against one another and these symbolic measures against one another, they may misperceive the intent of these actions and or these actions may cause casualties on either side that sort of locks politicians into policy positions that they don't necessarily want to be in. So good example of this on the northern border is if the Israelis kill a significant number of Hezbollah fighters or if Hezbollah kills a significant number of IDF troops, that would force either side to have to escalate substantially against one another. And then we move into this, this scenario of a, of a more overt con conflict, an, an outright war uh, within Lebanon. With so many players and complicated interests, is it possible to forecast somewhat of a timeline for these various scenarios unfolding? Like, is this sort of a Ukraine-Russia scenario, or is this a much more um, increased kind of timeline where everything will be happening in the next couple weeks? Yeah, and I think that's a good question about how long the timeline could be, because the Israeli military can't be mobilized at this scale indefinitely, the way that Russia has mobilized. And of course, to keep this in perspective, Russia has not mobilized its military or its economy to the scale that Israel currently has. Israel is pretty close to a total war mobilization. There's still some elements here and there where, where Israel isn't completely mobilized, but their economy can't afford this indefinitely. So it has to be resolved in one form or another in the coming months. And there, there may be a, a campaign of, of covert action that takes place afterwards uh, once the overt war is, is finished in the Gaza Strip and resolved however it's going to be resolved. Um, but that covert angle will Will still result in Israel pretty much going back to normal everyday life afterwards. And, and so while we are going to have lingering covert uh, uh, incidents after this war, and we're likely to also have, of course, flare-ups with whatever solution there might be uh, to the Gaza Strip and the challenge of Hamas, uh, the actual escalation step ladder where we could see a regional escalation that involves the U.S. versus Iran and then potentially an energy shock like uh, what, what happened after the Russians invaded Ukraine— that's something that we're looking to at in, in a matter of months. And so potentially by the end of the year at the latest, um, this will be resolved. As our history has shown us, the Israelis don't mobilize for more than a few months at a time, in large part because their economy just can't afford it. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. Um, I know you and fellow RAIN analysts will be closely following this situation and providing updates and analyses on this. Um, we really appreciate you coming on and kind of providing your insights. Well, thanks for having me, Emma. To access these insights, you can subscribe to our geopolitical intelligence product, Rain Worldview, 
our flagship risk intelligence products provide clients with the access to the insights and analyses they need to make more informed decisions and drive better risk management outcomes. Sign up at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Emma Kami. Thanks for listening.